Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. I'm glad you're here today. My name's Jernigan. I'm the pastor of Discover Church. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, man, come say hi. I would love to, love to get to know you and get to know your story a little bit. I'm excited because uh, we are continuing in part five of a six-part series called You Asked For It. So we asked, you asked us a lot of questions over the summer, and we've been putting together some teaching from the Bible to try to answer those questions. I'm excited about what we're talking about both today and next week because we are going to spend some time talking about heaven, y'all, and learn a little bit about what God has to say about this incredible thing. One of the things I know for sure is that Nevin will not be in heaven. Nevin will not be in heaven uh, with that, that Green Bay uniform, but we can pray for him, maybe, maybe, maybe. If there's hope for him, there's hope for anybody. Uh, today I wanna ask the question, you ask the question, and we're gonna try to answer it. What is heaven like? Now, how many of you guys have ever wondered that before? Just maybe, maybe thought, Man, what's heaven like? What's, what's going on with heaven? Man, that, that's a lot of us. You know, that, that's something. doesn't matter if you're a church person, a Jesus person or not. Um, inevitably, at some point, the idea of conversation of heaven is going to come up. Now, let me ask this question. And I asked this on social media uh, this week and got a lot of interesting answers. But how many of you um, have ever heard something that, that someone used to describe what heaven was like and you thought to yourself, if that's true... I don't know that I'm excited to spend forever there. Come on, somebody. We can be honest. Anybody, right? Right? So I had some people respond on Facebook, uh, say, you know, truthfully, uh, you know, I hear that heaven is a place where the streets are made of gold. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. I feel like I'm just going to mess it up. We'll make it dirty. I don't want to do that. Somebody else said, uh, you know, heaven seems like this place that's perfect. So it seems kind of boring. I read that. I thought that was interesting. I talked to her this morning and then, and then I saw like, like how many of you know, like the overwhelming majority of conversation is nonverbal, you know? So I read it on Facebook and I was like, well, that's interesting. Interesting thought. It could be boring because it's so perfect. But then as I asked her about it, she goes, you know, like, like it's so perfect. Like where's the, where's the drama? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, now I understand. Now I understand what you're talking about. Right? Like for me, Man, when I, when I think about heaven, and, and maybe this is you, you know, uh, the, the perception that a lot of people seem to have, and, and I've heard this from a lot of people, and I was certainly one of those people for a long time, that my perception of me in heaven is, is me wearing, you know, nothing but a smile and a diaper. And my, my mode of transportation of choice is a cloud, and my expertise is I'm a harpist. And I'm, I, I am, apparently, we just live in pastel colors, apparently. I don't know. I, right? And, and, I mean, just truthfully, like, when I think about that and think about me in heaven wearing a diaper and think about all of you in heaven wearing nothing but a diaper, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Just going to be honest about that. Kind of delete that image from my mind. Um, right? Maybe we, maybe we should just thank Precious Moments for that. I'm not really sure, but... But when I think about that, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, God, if that's true about heaven, not 100% sure that I'm excited about it. When I was a kid, like somewhere between like four and seven, uh, I would go to church with my great-grandma Nina. Everybody needs a great-grandma Nina. I had one. And uh, she lived in a town of 362 people. We went to church on Sunday. And I thought that, that, that if this is what heaven's like, dear Lord, walk in the door and all these little old ladies going, oh my goodness, he's so cute. You're pinching my cheeks. And I remember thinking, Lord, if I, if, I pray I don't have any cheeks in heaven. 
Because if it's an eternity of just, oh, look at me, he's so cute, he's getting so big, look at him. You want some candy? Are my cheeks not fat enough? Like, what's going, you know? Right? And then not only that, we get, and it comes time for the singing. We didn't have worship, we had time for singing. There was time for singing, there was time for preaching. We didn't have worship. Which I'm convinced that they're going to be really shocked when they get to heaven. And what, we don't have a time of singing, we have a time of worship. And there's seven people in the choir loft. And can't none of them sing. The one, the one lady gets a solo and it's like, why don't you sing solo? Nobody can hear you. That's why I do my best singing. And that's, it's actually in her church, I actually learned that the Bible says that, that God's desire is that we make a joyful noise. They don't have to sound pretty. And I'm pretty sure every Sunday morning, anyone who sits over here where I sit is probably praying to themselves, dear Lord, I don't know how you can be glorified with that awful dead animal sound coming out of his mouth. But I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. Right, and so, so seven people in the choir loft came, none of them sing, and, 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 then, and then they would always ask, are you going to come sing in the adult choir with us? Come on, sing in the adult choir. And I remember as a kid thinking, listen, I know I'm cute, but all my cuteness can't help what y'all doing up there. It's just not going to work. Ain't going to happen. And then the singing time was over, and it came time for the preaching. Sit there as a kid, listen to preaching, six years old, fidgeting, can't sit still, you know. Grandma! You shut your mouth. I'm bored. You shut your mouth. Open your mouth one more time. We're gonna, you're going to hear about it right here in front of God and everybody. Right? How many of you had a grandma that would like pinch your ear right here at the earlobe and just kind of drag you somewhere? That was my grandma do. My grandma was OG though. She would do this move. She would reach right under here and pinch. Yeah, y'all know about that right there. That right there. Somehow there's, there's a, y'all didn't know this, but there's actually a, a, a nerve ending right there that causes your, your, your booty to go, whoop. It's directly connected every time, whoop. And like staying at attention and like everything just gets right all of a sudden. My grandma knew that. She pinched that. I had like bruises right there. She get called for protective services today. <laughs> Great Granny Nina getting arrested. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. If that's what heaven's like, I'm not sure that I'm in. I've got good news for us. That's not what heaven's like. The Bible actually paints some pretty amazing things that helps us see what heaven is. And, and I'm convinced that Satan know how, knows how amazing heaven is because Satan used to live in heaven. That's another message for another day. Um, but Satan used to live in heaven and he knows how awesome it is. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why there's so much misconception and so much misinformation about what heaven is and so many preconceived notions about what heaven is and so many things are like, it doesn't really sound that great, is because Satan knows how awesome it is. And if he knew that if we can get just a glimpse of how amazing heaven is, that it would change the way that we live in our day-to-day life and we would stop living a little bit less, uh, we would start living a little bit less selfishly and start living a little bit more selflessly just so that we can, we can make sure that, that, that we get the most of what we can get when we get there and not just making sure that we get the most, but to make sure that we can get as many people possible to that awesome place as possible. I'm convinced that's why Satan does all this work to, to create these, you know, little, you know, images in our mind about what heaven's going to be like. So today I want to share with you from God's word. You guys asked some, some incredible questions. I'll just kind of tell you the questions we're going to be answering. You asked, is it true that when we die, we immediately go into the presence of God? 
I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about that. Uh, is it true that those in the presence of God can hear and see some things going on down here on earth? For example, can my grandmother hear me praying and talking to her? And we're going to give you some answers to that. And then the last question that we're going to answer today is when we are living in heaven and praising and thanking God, will we recognize our old loved ones and the relationships we had with them and tell you what the Bible says about that. Now, here's the deal. There's a lot of things in the Bible that gives us a lot of direct clarity about. And then there's some things where we kind of are left to kind of piece some things together. So I'm just going to tell you up front. There's some things today where I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says. This is it. Go, if you disagree, disagree with God. Okay. But I'm also going to share some things with you that thus says Jern, not thus says Jesus. And let me just give you permission that anytime you hear a thus says Jern or anytime Jern says something that, that goes against thus says Jesus, y'all better listen to Jesus and not listen to Jern. Okay, so I'm going to give you all that permission. It's okay to disagree with me if, if you feel like the Bible says um, clearly something different. But there's a lot of areas where God just gives us a lot of freedom to be able to try to piece the dots together. And I think God just sits in heaven and just laughs at us while we try to connect all the dots and goes, y'all don't even know. But we try to know, and so I'm going to do my best to kind of help you. Now, here's the deal. Because there's so much misinformation and miscommunication about what heaven is, I think it's important for us to kind of go back to the beginning to understand that there is a, there's a story arc that exists in, in, in humanity. And that I believe in order to help us to understand what God wants to do at the end of things, we have to have a better perception of what God has been doing through the whole thing. All right, now we're going to be jumping all over the Bible today. I'll give you a heads up. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, so if you want to earmark that, we'll be there. We're also going to be in Revelation 6 uh, for just a little bit. Those are the two places where we'll camp out for a minute, but we're going to be throwing a lot of stuff at you. I hope you can take notes, and I hope that this is going to be encouraging for you. I believe it's possible that you're going to walk away from here going, I didn't know that. Good, because God's challenged me, and, and God's challenged my thoughts on some things this week as well. All right, so let's get started. So what do we need to know? Well, all the way in the beginning, back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's significant that we understand that God created, he existed before all of it, and he created these places. He created heaven and he created earth. All right. And then from there, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, we see that God creates a dude and names him Adam. We get past Genesis chapter 1, and we start recognizing that God, God starts looking around like, man, there's all these animals, and, and every, all these animals have companions, and Adam's just down there, and, and he's just left to fend for himself and do it all by himself. And he started off really good naming all the animals, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, duck-billed platypus, giraffe. But then he got really bored, rat, cat, ant, dog. You know, like, he, my man needs some help. So God said, I'm going to make him somebody. So God puts Adam to sleep and, and takes a rib from his side and, and makes a woman. And, and, and Adam wakes up and goes, oh, my goodness. How you doing, girl? Mm-hmm. You see, I've been looking at hippopotamuses and giraffes and elephants and, 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 you know, the naked mole rat. I've been looking at all of them, girl, and you don't look nothing like them, girl. You fine. I'm hot, you're hot, girl. Let's be hot together because I, God said, be fruitful. Hello. You know how that works? I've been watching the other animals do it. We're going to figure it out, girl. Yeah, y'all a little embarrassed right now. Y'all just wait. We're going to do a marriage series next year. It's going to be awesome. I'll tell you why. There's some people going to get like hot under the collar on one of those Sundays. Oh, my goodness. It's getting hot up in here. It's going to be great. But God started looking around, look at Adam and Eve, and, and he, 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 made, he made Eve. 
so he can have some companionship, have some help. And then Genesis chapter 3, the great tragedy in our story of humanity happens where Satan comes down. And, and again, he's always trying to convince people that what God says is true is false and what God says is false is true. And so he comes along and convinces Adam and Eve, hey, listen, y'all, y'all done heard God said this, but he didn't really mean that. He's holding out on you. If you really want to be good like God, if you really want to experience more of God, then, 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 then you should want to, to try to do this yourself. And so he, he, he attempted them, not just with evil things, but with the knowledge of both good and evil things. He actually appealed to her desire to be good and, 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 and twisted the whole thing that it's not just about receiving what God has given you because that's not good enough. You've got to do your own thing to get there. And that's when religion started, by the way. And I don't have time to go into all of that. But, but Satan comes along and tempts Adam and Eve with something that was good, that they desired to be right. It wasn't just this wicked, awful, terrible thing. And, the, and, and he convinced them that the only way that they can get the good thing is to, number one, believe that God is holding something out on them. And number two, convince them to believe the only way they're going to get there is if they take it on themselves instead of just relying on God. And the story unfolds. And by the time we get to the end of Genesis chapter 3, we see that God, first, he leads with grace. He covers um, the, the reality of their situation with grace. He always leads with grace, and then he follows with truth. Amen. And I don't know if you know that or not. In your situation, God will always lead with grace, but you better believe he's coming with truth. And the grace is he covered them and he said, I love you and I'm going to cover your nakedness. But the truth came along and said, hey, but because you've done this, you have brought something wrong into the place that I have made that's right. Eden is a paradise. It is beautiful. It is perfect. It is exactly like I want it to be. But you have brought imperfection onto the scene. And so you're no longer welcome here. And they are exiled from their home and paradise is lost. And from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Malachi, the last book of your Old Testament, God is telling a story about how he is trying to make it possible that even though that his people cannot walk with him and talk with him in close, intimate relationship and fellowship, he is constantly making a way for his people to have access to them. And he constantly lets it be their choice whether or not they want to have that access. And all along the way, there's these little breadcrumbs sprinkled throughout about a promise about a Messiah who was going to come that was going to lead the nation of Israel out of poverty into prosperity, into prominence. And then you get to the New Testament. You get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's the story. It's called the Gospels, which means good news. Um, It's the story of Jesus. And Jesus is born. And he's he's the fulfillment of all of these breadcrumb prophecies that that would be the Messiah that would lead Israel out of poverty into prominence. But he did it in a way that they didn't expect. And he didn't lead a rebellion. And he didn't lead a military conquest. And he didn't stage a political coup. No, what he did was he did what nobody expected him to do. He died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And from Acts all the way to 3 John, we see that this account of these people who, who believed in Jesus and believed that he rose from the dead and ultimately gave their life for the truth that Jesus did not die alone, but he died and then rose again. And, and they begin telling a story about this is how we follow Jesus. This is how we live this life in pursuit of him. And then we get to the book of Revelation. And Revelation was written by a man named John who, who was, was sentenced to exile on this island called Patmos after they tried to kill him by throwing him into an entire a massive pot of hot scalding oil and they threw him in there thinking it would kill him but it didn't and they got him out and they they exiled him to to this island of Patmos where he he was he God provided for him and God took care of him and he said hey John you want to see something cool 
John's like, yeah. And so John goes, gets access to be able to, to see what's going on and, and what's coming and how the story is going to end. And, and John's like, oh my gosh, they're not going to believe this. They're not going to believe this. And the Bible actually tells us that there are certain things that John wrote down and God said, hey, John, I need you to take that and throw that away because they can't handle that. They couldn't handle that part of what you're seeing, so, so take it. He actually tells him to eat it, which is weird. Why he did that, there's a lot of theologians that have explanations for it. That's one of my questions. God, why couldn't he just like burn it or throw it away or recycle it on the island of Patmos or, you know, use it? You know, you got to use paper for certain things, and so maybe use it for that. But why did he have to eat it? I don't have the answer to that. And the entire story arc is about what God is doing and ultimately what God is going to do at the end. And Revelation gives us a little peek, a little glimpse at certain things that are going to happen. And the thing that's necessary for you and I to be able to even begin to make sense of what heaven is going to be like is for us to understand this one very essential truth, that you are not a physical being with a spirit. You are a spiritual being with a physical body. You go, what? Let me unpack this. You are not a physical being, meaning that the, the, the epitome and the, 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 the pinnacle of your existence is not your physical life and your physical body. Scripture paints a picture for us that we are, um, that, that we are spirits and that our spirit will ultimately live on forever. And in God's great wisdom, the way that he set this whole thing up is that the way that we live forever in our eternal nature as a spiritual being is, is determined by the decisions we make in this very short window that is our physical life. And the decisions that we make now will impact what we encounter and experience when we get to eternity, when we get to forever and ever and ever. But the problem is, is that the culture has done such a good job, and I'm believing, I believe that Satan has been a part of this to try to convince us that that, that is a false statement, that you are not a spiritual being with a physical body, that, that you are actually a physical body and you have a spirit. So let's emphasize the physical body. Let's emphasize this life. Live it up. Live hard. Live free and die and, and, and party it up and get the t-shirt and all this stuff. Man, enjoy it because this is really all there is. And if there is a spirit, well, you probably just go off into some, you know, never, never existence land and, and nothing really ever happens. But God actually paints the opposite picture, says, no, 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 listen, your body is but a moment. James says it this way, that your life is like a vapor here today and it's gone tomorrow. But what continues past tomorrow is your spirit. And we need to make decisions and evaluate and understand God's word from the perspective of our spirit, not just our physical body. Okay? And so we need to understand that in order for any of this to begin to make sense. So let's ask the question, what is heaven? Well, I would define heaven like this, that heaven is a very real, literal place where God dwells. It's not a metaphorical place. It's not a metaphysical existence. It's not, it's not just some place that, that, you know, broke people and hopeless people just make up and poor people just make up to believe that, 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 that there is some afterlife, that things can be better. No, 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 no. Heaven is a very real and literal place, and it is, it is ultimately defined as anywhere that God lives, where the, where the, the, the glory of God is, is, is existent and, and, and exposed for, for all to see. In the book of Isaiah chapter 6, we get a glimpse about what's going on in the throne room of heaven. 
Okay, so, so all of heaven, and there is a place where God's throne is, and we get to see what's going on there. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet, and God spoke to this prophet. Prophet's job was to tell people what's going to happen. Um, oftentimes, this is what's going to happen if you don't get, get right, and, and if you don't get right, this is going to happen. And God says, hey, Isaiah, why don't you come here for a second? I want to show you something. And Isaiah records what he sees. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. So there's Jesus. On this, on this throne that, that, that's high and elevated above everything and everybody else. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So, so somehow what he was seeing was some sort of a, of a physical embodiment of Jesus. It wasn't just some spiritual nebulous cloud thing. That he had a physical body that had a robe that he was on. And the robe it came off of the throne of God and into the entire area. Said above it stood seraphim. That's a fancy word for angels. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another, saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts." Let me stop here for just a second. The word "holy" means to be altogether separate. Okay. So anytime you see the word "holy," it literally means it is altogether different. It's altogether separate. It is not physically possible for you to capture in your mind just how different you are from what is holy. Anytime you see in Scripture a word repeated, it means that that there is an exponential uh, influence or an exponential uh, uh, explanation that is that is put on that word. So it says, "Holy, holy, holy." It's like I am so God is so altogether different, different, different than you could ever possibly imagine. And then he goes on to say, "And the whole earth." is full of his glory. I find this interesting. He doesn't say, because where is Isaiah? What is he seeing? He's seeing a glimpse of heaven. He's seeing a glimpse of the throne room of heaven. But he, notice he doesn't say, and the whole heaven is full of his glory. No, what it says is, is the whole earth is full of his glory. And what that means for us is significant because it means that the glory of God is so significant. It is so overwhelming. It is so holy, holy, holy that it permeates the threshold that divides earth and heaven. And, and it's not just that heaven is full of the glory of God, but the glory of God permeates through that barrier and it, and it consumes the whole earth. It means that there's no place that you and I can go and walk and see and encounter that is not full, is not all-encompassing of God's glory. And every time you see something in nature that is beautiful, that's mesmerizing, that's mind-blowing, all of nature already knows that God is, that, that, that Jesus is full of glory and that the whole earth is full of glory. And when you and I see it, we go, oh my goodness, isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? But what creation is doing is reflecting the glory of God that it is consumed with. And what's crazy is that you and I are the only thing on the earth that does not willingly reflect the glory of God. Because we become consumed with embracing and reflecting the glory of us. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice what it continues to say. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is giving, a, giving us a glimpse of what it looks like in the throne room of God. If you go to Revelation chapter 4, you can see in more detail, and you see that the throne of God sits on a crystal sea, and there's thunderings and lightnings and rainbows and colors and all of this incredible stuff. All that God is doing is saying, listen, I, all you can handle is a glimpse. I'm going to give you just a little bit of glimpse because you can handle the rest. 
So that's what's going on in heaven. So the first thing that we need to know is that heaven is a very real, literal place. But before I tell you the next point, I want to prepare you for the next point, because the next point is going to be contrary to what most of you have been led to believe. I don't mean to say that you've been lied to. I just mean to say that, that oftentimes that, that what happens is, is sometimes the hardest thing about learning the Bible is unlearning what you have been taught about the Bible. And so this next point has the potential to kind of rock you off your heels a little bit. This next point has the potential to cause you to question everything. I don't, I don't want that to happen, but I do want you to know what is true. Because heaven is not just a very real literal place where the glory of God dwells. Heaven is temporary. And that's exactly what the first service did. They said, excuse me, I thought heaven was eternal. Not the heaven that you think of, it's not. Now, I, I can't go and read all of the verses for you, but, but let me, I told you that the story begins with a story arc, and there's a progression to it. And we get to Revelation, and we get a glimpse of, of what's going to happen towards the end of the story. And when we get to the end of Revelation, and throughout the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of theological work that people invest their entire lives in studying this, so I'm going to give it to you in two minutes. But the story of Revelation says, when, when, it, when, when it's all wrapping up, when the story is coming to a close, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be this event called the rapture, and the rapture is going to be where, where all of the people who are still alive on planet earth who belong to Jesus, they have been made alive in Christ by faith in him, that, then what's going to happen is, is Jesus is going to once again cross from heaven into earth, and he's going to be coming, and, and, and there's going to be a, a loud trumpet blast, and all of a sudden, every single person who belongs to Jesus is going to start looking around going, deuces, I'm out. I'm going to go hang out with him because he got something better for me. And, and, and the rapture is going to happen. And when the rapture happens, the whole world's going to go in chaos because according to whoever surveys the 1.3 billion people, according to research, 1.3 billion people um, proclaim to be followers of Jesus. And so when all of a sudden 1.3 billion people are gone, the whole world's going to go in chaos, and that's going to lead to seven years of what's called a tribulation, meaning it's going to be seven years of, of, of global response and, and posturing and political power and, and all this stuff that's going to happen. I don't have time to unpack all that stuff, but all this, all this chaos is going to happen. At the end of seven years, then Jesus is going to come, and, and, and he's, going to, he's going to whip Satan's behind just for a minute. And that minute is, is, is going to last for a thousand years. It's called the millennial kingdom. And Jesus is going to come back from heaven and he's going to come and he's going to hang out right here on earth and he's going to make the earth his kingdom. And Satan and all of his, you know, demon people are all going to be bound up in this place called Hades. And at the end of a thousand years, Satan somehow is going to magically going to figure out how to pick the lock. At least he's going to think he is. But in reality, God's going to say, you had enough yet? Why don't you come on back? It's like that scene when you see these two boxers fight and dude delivers a knockout punch and the guy starts talking all kinds of mess like, dude, if you want some more, bring it. And then in the most anticlimactic fight in the history of all fights, Satan's going to come back with all of his demons and Jesus is going to go, it's over. Goodbye. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> it's going to be over. And it says that what happens after that, John says, and behold, I see a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to talk about that next week. So what I want to do today is I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about what I want to call current heaven or present 
heaven? What is going on in present heaven? Well, you and I, to kind of help us understand this, because this is kind of like really trips people up sometimes, I want to use an analogy that I read in a book this week to help understand this about, okay, so if, there's, if heaven is temporary, then what does that mean? And, and, if, and if there's this new heaven and new earth, then what does that mean? Well, I'll give it to you like this. Let's imagine, for instance, that, um, that, that you have an incredibly wealthy, distant family member, right? And you, here you are living in Kansas City. Let's assume for, for a second, maybe this is your story for real. Maybe it's not your story. I don't know. But just put everybody on the same page. Let's assume you don't have two dimes to rub together. And somebody comes and finds you and says, excuse me, are you you? And you go, yes, I am me. Still, I think so. Maybe. And they go, I have bad news for you. You have a very, 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 very wealthy, distant, very distant, very, very distant relative that has died and they've left it all to you. Now, some of you who just like to argue will go, no, I don't. Do not. You ain't the boss of me. Psh. Others of you be like, oh, my great, 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 great cousin, seven times removed. I love them so much. What was their name again? And they said, listen, here's the deal. They left it all to you. And this is what it means. It means you got a house, a beautiful house in Hawaii. You, it, this is your hypothetical. You insert whatever dream place that you would love to retire and live in. Okay? And, and not only that, I got a, they had a job that we need you to do. But here's the deal. You are going to love this job. You're going to crush this job. You are going to be the best person to ever do this job in the history of this job. You're going to make your cousin look like an idiot by how good you are going to do this job. And you're going to love every second of it. Okay? How do I get there? Well, I got a plane ticket for you. You got a connecting flight in Dallas, and then, and then you fly on out to Hawaii. Now, if you were to go tell people that story, you would not go, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to Dallas, y'all. I'm going to hang out there for like, like five hours. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. I done called some of my people. They're going to meet me there in Dallas, and we're just going to hang out there in the terminal. The, the, the new Dallas airport's as big as KCI, and we're just going to sit there and hang out all crunched up together, drinking a Starbucks we waited for three hours just to get. It's done cold now it's great no that's not what you're gonna do if you tell this story you're gonna be like y'all gonna believe it? I'm going to Hawaii I got a house on the beach hello somebody I got a job I got a paycheck your boy gonna be making it rain up in here but what is Dallas Dallas is a layover it's a, it's a part of the process that's necessary for you to get there here's what I'm trying to tell you what you and I think of when we die and we go to heaven that's our layover it's not our final destination. And next week, we're going to unpack what that final destination is and what it's going to look like and what life like there is going to be. And I promise you, it is so much better than anything that you've ever imagined before. So, to help bring a little bit more clarity, I want to share with you this quote from a theologian named Rene Pache. He's a Swedish-French guy, and I don't know how Swedish-French people pronounce their name. I just know how people named Jernigan pronounce their name. But this is what he says. He says, the emphasis on the present heaven is clearly rest. Cessation from earth's battles and comforts from earth's sufferings. In other words, the emphasis in the present heaven is the absence of earth's negatives. In Luke 23, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, told the thief that was hanging next to him, surely you will be with me in paradise. 
And so the current heaven is this, is this beautiful paradise of an oasis, a, a place where we can go and we can rest and we can absolutely, there will be worship of God, but there will be unlimited access to be able to go and explore these, these things that we've never seen and things that we've never heard. And, and there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be new, but there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be familiar. And so with all of that, let me answer this question. Is it true that when we die, we immediately go into the presence of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 puts it this way. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Here's what this means. It means that if you, by faith in Jesus, have been made alive in Christ, because I don't know if you know this or not, but, but the message of Jesus is that he didn't just make bad people good. He made people who were spiritually dead, spiritually alive, fully alive for the first time. And the promise is, is that if you believe in Christ and you trust in Christ to make you alive, then the moment that you're dead, the moment that your spirit goes away and your, time, your body expires, in that moment, instantaneously, boom, you are in the presence of God. That's encouraging today. There's no... There's no intermediate place where we go and, and maybe just maybe we might get in. No, no, no. The decision of whether we get in is based on the decisions we make here and now. And if you've trusted in Christ, there is no, I don't know, there is no maybe. There is only certainty that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The next question. Is it true that those in the presence of God can, can hear and, some, uh, and see some of the things that are going on here on earth? For example, can my grandmother hear me pray and talk to her? I'll just be honest with you. This was one of those questions. I had a knee-jerk response to it. And then I started reading the Bible. And when I started reading the Bible, my opinion began to change. Can I tell you sometimes, um, and not just sometimes, but all the times, we need to allow the Bible to change our opinion instead of allowing our opinion to change the Bible. And here's the reason why. Because what the Bible says is always better than what our opinion is. So I started reading, started researching, and started studying the works of a whole bunch of other people. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter 6. I want you to, to, to check this out and read this with me. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, so this is John, and he's witnessing what's happening and, and all that stuff, right? When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now listen, there's a whole lot of things that I believe is going on here, and I, I, I can only identify a few of them. But God is giving us a glimpse, I believe, into what to expect when we get into current heaven. And he gives us a glimpse by allowing us to see what these martyrs are doing. I want to point out a few things to you. First thing that I want to point out is I want, you to, I want you to recognize that they're able to speak. Not only are they able to speak, they're able to have conversation with Jesus. Come on, somebody. How many of you can't wait to be able to talk to Jesus face to face? Ask him a question and him go, hold on just a second. Let me show you what that answer is. They're, they're able to speak. They're able to talk audibly. Um, it says that they're given robes, which means that they have some type of a physical form that requires some type of out, outer clothing. 
We go and read about the story that, that Jesus talks about with, with Lazarus and the rich man. We see that, uh, that, 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 that Lazarus um, or that the rich man um, feels heat and that he, he desires water and that he has a hand and a finger and he asks if he can just dip his finger in a cup of water so that he can get just a, a drip of water on his tongue so he's got a tongue. And all of this to point out that, that there is a continuity that exists between some of what we know here on earth and, and some of what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. And so these martyrs, they're able to speak. They, they, they require clothing. Um, not only that, they have some semblance of time. So in, in current heaven, there's, there's some sense of something that happened, something that is, and something that's going to be. Notice they said, how long, O Lord, until all of the wrongs are made right? They have a sense of time. Not only do they have a sense of time, but they also have a sense of, of awareness. It says that they are aware um, um, because they know that they were martyred. They're aware of what happened when they were on earth. And then it gets even stranger. What are they praying for? They're praying for the wrongs that are being done against their brothers and their sisters in the faith to be made right. I believe what God is teaching us here is that in some kind of way, those that, that are in Christ, that are in the current heaven, present heaven, are able somehow to be able to peer over and to see what's happening on earth today. Because if they couldn't, why would they be praying for their brothers that are currently being persecuted? How would they know that, 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 that it hasn't been made right yet? That there is some kind of awareness, some type of understanding about what's happening. And so I believe what God is teaching is that absolutely, yes, when we go to heaven, our loved ones, our family members, our, our, our parents or grandparents, uh, when, when they are in the presence of heaven, in the presence of God, that they are in some kind of way able to look over and absolutely be able to notice and be aware of what is happening in our lives on earth. And they're so moved and they're so concerned that they are interceding on your behalf with God, asking Jesus, when will you go back and make this right? It means that that your grandparents who, who knew Christ are there. Your, your dad and your mom who've passed away, if they knew Christ, they're there. For those moms and dads who've gone through the heartache and the turmoil of a miscarriage, I believe it means that, that that child that you were connected to emotionally but never were connected to relationally, physically to see their face are there. And in some kind of way, they are aware of what's happening in your life and they are so concerned, not just about what's going on in the ups and downs in every days of your life, but how what's going on in the ups and downs in the every days of your life relate to God's desire for your life. And they're interceding on your behalf that, that they would come and make it right for God's glory. so that the people that they care about can experience all of the goodness and all of the fullness that God has in store for you. Now some would say, well, well, hold on just a second. Doesn't the Bible say that God wipes every tear and removes all the sorrow? Yes, he does. But, and, and, and it's because of that verse that I used to always respond to this question by saying, nope, not possible. 
because there's so much hurt, there's so much heartache, there's so much pain that's happening here on earth that, that God says he wipes away the tears and removes the sorrow. However, if you read it carefully, that promise does not happen in the current heaven. It happens when we experience the new heaven and the new earth. And so in the timeline of things that exist in the current heaven, there is an awareness. I believe God is teaching there is an awareness of what is happening on earth. Now, what does that mean that your grandmama can hear you when you're praying? I'm going to tell you my opinion. I can't prove this emphatically, but I'm going to say no. Here's the reason why. Because your prayers are your conversation with God. And your grandmama don't have supernatural ability to be able to hear the thoughts in your head. But God does. Can your grandmama hear you when you're talking to her? I don't know. If I had to make a bet, if I had to make a decision, I'm going to venture on the side of yes. Because there's an awareness and a continuity of what's happening that they can hear and see what's happening. Why are they concerned? Now, here's the deal. My, my, my concern about me telling you that is that you're going to walk out of here and go, Grandma, how you doing? Hey. You know, I'm really sorry about what I said to her. I shouldn't have said that. But that's your daughter. You know how she is. She, she learned that from you. So really, it's your fault. You should be apologizing to me. No, I don't want you to walk out of here placing the emphasis on the wrong syllable. There you go. The amazing thing is not that our loved ones who have died in Christ can hear us and intercede for us. The amazing thing is that there is a God in heaven who loves us enough to make it possible that we can get out of this hell and get to his heaven. And that same God says, are you anxious? Don't be anxious. Pray. Because from heaven, I not only can hear the prayers that you pray out loud, but I can hear the prayers that you say in your mind. Hopefully that's blowing your mind just a little bit. Let's continue. Last question for the day. When we're living in heaven and praising and thanking God, will we recognize our old loved ones and the relationships we had with them? Now, this is one of those things I can't definitively go to a book, chapter, verse and say this is exactly what it is. However, I believe that this is my opinion based on the evidence of what we see and what we read and making connections of everything that we've seen so far of, of the continuity between what we know physically here and what we'll experience physically there and be able to, 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 to speak and, and, and to need clothes and have hands and bodies and tongues and all that stuff, that there's a continuity that exists, that there's an awareness from our loved ones there about us here. But the icing on the cake for me that causes me to answer this question is, let's go back to the beginning and what did God establish? What had he put in place before sin entered the scene? And what we see is in Genesis 2.16, I've already alluded to this a little bit, God says this, it is not good that the man should be alone. So I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. A few verses later, he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What is in mind here? The mind, what, what God has intended here is the idea of, of companionship. What God has intended here is, is the idea of relationship and, and the understanding that, that, that we need community. We need connection. We need relationship. 
And all of that was a part of God's grand plan, that that, that was a part of it, that the idea of relationships, the idea of community, the idea of connectedness, the idea of needing other people in my life, the idea of family, all of that was a part of God's plan before sin entered the scene. And so when I, when I look at the whole story arc about what happens at the beginning and the little things sprinkled throughout and what I see at the end, what I believe is, is absolutely yes. When you get to heaven, you will have familiarity and relationships with the people that you have relationship with now. Now, for most of you, you're like, awesome, that's really good news. But there's probably at least one crazy cousin Eddie in your family that you're like, really? but I believe that you'll know your kids. And whether or not it's gonna be the exact same way of you knowing your kids now, I don't know, but I absolutely believe that God gifted them to you. And you'll be aware of each other and there will be an intimacy and a relationship and a connection that you will have because God gifted them to you here. The same is true with your parents and your family. You say, well, what's that mean for my marriage? Am I still going to know my boo thing when, when I get there? We have to come back next week to find out. You see, here's the deal. I would be remiss in all this conversation about heaven and how amazing heaven is and what God has taught us If I didn't tell you that God's desire is that for every single person on the planet that's ever had a, a, a beat in their heart and a breath in their lung, his desire is for them to go there. And even though we screwed up again and again and again, going all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, God continually establishes a pattern that my love is so big that even when you were still screwing it up, I sent my son to die for you so that you can know that I see you, I know you, I know your heartache, I know your pain, I know what you went through, I know what happened to you, I know what you have chosen to believe about you, and he is here to say, what is most significant is not what happened to you. What is most significant is not what you did, it's not what you said. The most significant thing is what I did and what I said about you when I did it. See, God's heaven is like a, it's like an exclusive club, exclusive party. Your name has to be on the list. And I believe there's a lot of people that go to, go to churches like this and all across the country that if asked the question, do you know that your name is on the list? I believe there's a lot of people that go, well, I think so, for sure. Can I tell you that God has said that he has written all of these things and recorded them in his word so that you can know that you have eternal life, so that you can know that your name is on the list? Well, if, it's, if it's so good, if it's so amazing, then why does it have to be a list? Because it's perfect. And you and me, we're contaminated. And God will not let anything contaminated enter into his perfect place. And the only way that we can go from being contaminated to being perfect is by receiving the love of Jesus and being made alive in Christ. Scripture says that, that we, when we place our trust in Christ, we become a new creation. Old things, the old contaminated version of you dies. And a new and beautiful and, and, a, and a perfected 
version of you becomes alive. And it's only made possible through Jesus and only through Jesus, only by saying yes to him and and believing that he came to die on the cross, not to condemn you, but to set you free, to give you new life and new hope and new peace. Only by belief and faith in Christ can you know for certain that your name is on the list. So many people when asked the question, do you know that you're going to heaven? Sure, why? Because I'm a good person. No, you're not. It's not about being good, it's about being perfect. God wants you to know today, you don't have to wonder, you don't have to worry, you don't have to question, you can know for certain. It starts in your heart, by trusting and receiving and believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who really lived 2,000 years ago, who really died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and three days after that, he really rose from the grave so that you could experience all that God has in store for you, both now and in heaven. And if you're here today and you go, you know what, preacher man, I I don't know if that, I'm not sure, I don't know. I would answer the question, I don't know, maybe. Listen, I... I can't think of a better day than today than to get off of maybe and to know for certain. And if you're here today and you say, hey, preacher man, listen, you're up there and you, you know, you got the holy God thing going on and you don't know me, you don't know my story. Listen, brother, listen, sister, you don't know me, you don't know my story. If God can love me, he can love you. And God wants great things for you. But it starts in the heart by saying yes to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?